Insomniacs are minds night, watching movies day and night. Exploring cinema is a wild ride. Allow Filmsomniacs to be your guide. Filmsomniacs. 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 All right, welcome to Filmsomniacs. We're two film lovers who have trouble sleeping and trouble getting this podcast started because of technical difficulties. Talk about the weird and the wonderful. The popular and the pointless fifth take. And the iconic. And the icon. Oh yeah, and the iconic. Yeah. Sorry. I was <laughs> yeah, that's to, it. Yeah, I was supposed to go in years and yeah. Yeah. Holy we uh shit. we we did that intro. This is I think our sixth time doing that intro because uh our Discord isn't working and I feel like I should knock on wood having said that out loud. Um <laughs> I made a comment in an earlier take that this was a Kubrickian. This isn't even yeah. Kubrick. This is like full on like the worst filmmaker you could the worst, most like abusive filmmaker you can imagine. <laughs> like Russ McCamey. It's like Kubrick mixed with Fincher mixed with you said Russ McCamey. Russ McCamey and like Russ McCamey. A little bit of like uh um who did uh, Evil Dead, what's his name? Sam Sam Raimi. Yeah, a little bit of Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah, we're just doing it a lot today. Um, God. <laughs> but my name is Wes. I do uh, TikTok on West Talks films. Uh, West Talk movies, I should say. Um, and and I'm joined here with the wonderful, amazing other co-host of the show. the My second half, my, my better half, my better co-host. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. No, truly, truly, Wes is the better half. Uh, <laughs> lies, truly, Wes, lies. the love of my life. I am Gunch, uh, Gunch, Film Gunch on TikTok. Gunch and Film Gunch on TikTok. Um, my real name is June, but you can just call me Gunch. Gunch, <laughs> like hunch with a G. Yes, the Gunchback of Notre Dame. The Gunchback um... of Notre Dame. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we're film somniacs because the gunch bunch just seemed a little too egotistical so <laughs> yeah um uh you'll have to pardon me i am so very tired it is the 26th of november we just had uh thanksgiving holiday which is super relaxing when you're a kid um not so much when you are 30 <laughs> I, um i hate the holidays <laughs> i think thanksgiving I, I is my least favorite honestly yeah I like Thanksgiving. I like the food and like, I like it when you get to spend it with good people. Um, I, I'm not a fan of Christmas. I know that's going to get a lot of people giving me the side eye. I'm not a fan of Christmas. It's mostly just consumerist holidays. I've never been a fan of receiving gifts. It makes me feel obligated in weird ways. Um, and there's a lot of like pressure behind receiving gifts sometimes. Um, and, and I think that's why I don't like Christmas, but you know, it's great for some people, and that's wonderful. And, you know, if you're enjoying the holidays, I hope you're enjoying them to the fullest. I, and, I don't uh, like Christmas either, but I have Christmas <laughs> trauma. So, yeah, I mean, I understand same, yeah. completely. <laughs> I like, definitely have some Christmas trauma. <laughs> either you love Christmas or you've seen the dark side of Christmas. Um, and yeah. that's why my favorite Christmas movie is Brazil. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's why my favorite Christmas movie is The Apartment, I guess. <laughs> but we're not talking Christmas movies today. We're actually doing our, our, our new theme, which is the Freaky 40s. Freaky 40s. And we're Gunch's choice this week. Go ahead and uh, tell us what it is, because it, it was a blast. Today we are talking about the iconic um, film, which is about, it's a 40s movie, obviously, about the Nazi occupation of Poland. 
And it also just so happens to be one of the funniest movies of all time. To Be or Not to Be by Ernst Lubitsch. The brilliant Ernst Lubitsch. What what a man. Like, oh my goodness. I cannot believe this came out in 1942. This was before yeah. uh, the end of the war, like by three years, I think, right? Yeah. This so is... we were like in the middle of World War II when this came out, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie, I, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of culture shock, but I think like this movie aged pretty well because it just oh, yeah. sort of tore fascism apart. Yeah, it's so, crazy. So good, so well. Like, you got to wonder if, like, Hitler saw this movie. Um, Probably. Because he was alive. He was alive for it. So, like, that's so crazy. Like, yeah. It actually kind of blows my mind because you don't see that level of, well, I guess there was the um, the interview uh, about Kim Jong-un those many years that's back true. that was uh, almost not released because of uh, of threats from North Korea. But um, you don't see like political figures being satirized quite like that. At least um, political figures in the same vein as like Kim Jong-un or Adolf Hitler. You know, you don't see them being satirized yeah. during their lifetimes so much anymore. So it's like really crazy to, to that this movie came out in 1942. It really blew my mind with how dark and <laughs> just biting it was, um, which is all the better because if my satire has no bite, I don't want it. <laughs> and it's just so funny. It is. It's a really funny movie. I mean, like it just, it, it really just, it takes such a dark, horrible thing and just portrays the, I, so, okay. I want to talk a little bit about Ernst Lubitsch for a minute here. I did some research on him. Yeah. And, um, Ernst Lubitsch, he was a German guy. He was a German man. He was born in Berlin in 1892. And he started to uh, become a filmmaker in Germany. He made, I think, about 30 films in the silent area, uh, era in Germany um, wow. from 1918 to wow. 1920. He's a, like a real OG, like the real OG. <laughs> yeah, he's like a German. Uh, I mean, like that's expressionism. Uh, yeah, he's a German that's a expressionism whole, uh, guy. That's so cool. Uh, so then, uh, so he directed 72 films total. Over the course wow. of his whole life, he died in 47, five years after this movie, To Be or Not To Be, was made. He died of a heart attack at 55. Wow. Way, way, he could way have been too made, young. Yeah, he could have been making movies all the way up until like the 60s if he didn't die young. If and he, he didn't die of the heart attack. Yeah, and he probably was uh, would have because he was just a restless artist. Um, he, he transitioned from Germany to America in 21. He made two movies, uh, Madame Dubarry, which was retitled passion in, uh, 1919. That was actually 1919. <laughs> and then Anna Boylan, uh, which was retitled deception in 1920. <laughs> Those garnered American favor. So he traveled to America, uh, on a tour to work on a movie called the loves of Pharaoh. Uh, which nice. was 1921. So he went back to Germany, and uh, the war was brewing. It was fresh. So he realized that uh, the resources in America far outweighed the German film industry resources. So he 
traveled back to America in 1922 and permanently took up residence there and began working as an American filmmaker. Yeah. So this movie is obviously very... Uh, yeah, yeah, and he made a lot of like incredible, incredible films. This movie, uh, to be or not to be, is obviously very close to his heart. And uh, and then in uh, 1928, he got nominated for an Academy Award for The Patriot. Um, and then he transitioned excitedly into sound films, started directing oh, yeah. musicals, and then he worked all the way through the sound, the early sound era and into the forties where, you know, he passed away in, in 47. So he basically was an extreme legend. Yeah. It's, uh, often thought that he was able to transition from Germany to America and from silent to sound and then to the forties because he was so good at pre-production and he made like a master blueprint of every movie he did. And it's thought that the only early director that really came close to his level of pre-production preciseness craftsmanship was Hitchcock. Yeah. Wide, widely regarded. Comparison. Yeah. And, uh, I, I haven't seen enough films by either Lubitsch or Hitchcock, but a lot of uh, folks consider them to be very similar directors. Yeah, I could see that. Um, just from the visual style alone, I could see that. Yeah. I also haven't seen enough Lubitsch films. I've seen tons of Hitchcock films, but I've only seen like uh, maybe like a couple Lubitsch films. I've seen like um, this one, obviously, now. To be or not to be, and uh, Trouble in Paradise was the other one that I watched a little recently, um, sometime last year, which was fantastic, a fantastic film. Um, and other than that, I can't really remember, but I, I know I've seen at least one other of his. But um, I would say visually, yeah, that that tracks. I think I think they do have a similar visual style, um, just the the way they they move their camera and the way they frame their shots their their blocking is very thought out and very smart um and they both love blonde women so you know there's that <laughs> um it seemed just, like it seemed like lubitsch treated uh, the women on his sets better um, yeah just i would imagine read. so just because hitchcock was so extremely mean to some of his stars um and then i guess another another to kind of uh, not counter that because he definitely was very mean to his stars, but to give a little more nuance to it, I guess I should say, um, I do think that Lubitsch and Hitchcock both wrote their women characters to be on equal footing with their male counterparts. A lot of the time, whether or not, you know, Hitchcock believed that women were equal to men or if Hitchcock, you know, I don't think maybe he, he was kind of a misogynist. I think that's fair to say. Um, but he realized that women had money and women wanted to go see movies too. So he, so he yeah. brilliantly wrote women as, as uh, equally smart and clever to the male counterparts in their film. And I think that's really something really cool for the time, even if the director himself is just doing it, you know, and not really believing it, you know? Yeah. I haven't seen nearly enough Lubitsch movies, uh, but if this movie is any indication, he seemed like a pretty progressive fellow because this movie, yeah. and like you said earlier, this movie doesn't feel like a 40s movie at all. It feels a lot yeah. more modern. Uh, and one quote I read from him that I really liked, that really resonated with me, was uh, as follows. 
I made sometimes pictures which were not up to my standard, but then it can only be said about a mediocrity that all his works live up to his standard. <laughs> I like that. That is really clever. I, I struggle a lot with uh, my art. I always feel like it's not up to standard. Uh, I'm a major perfectionist. So yeah. if if you're listening and you're a filmmaker, or, or even if you're an artist or a writer, uh, that, that should inspire you truly because... Yeah. It doesn't always have to be up to your standard, uh, it, or it, I guess I should say it's okay if it's not always up to your standard because only a mediocrity would have all of their works live up to their standard. Right. So that quote really resonated with me. Uh, and Lubitsch got an honorary Oscar after uh, posthumously after he died. And, uh, of course, he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So nice. Just a legendary dude. And he made this movie, which is, I mean, it's widely regarded as one of the greatest movies of all time. It's a, it's a criterion, I believe spine 607. Yeah. I need to pick up that criterion. 670. Yeah. I definitely want to pick this up on criterion cause it's great. I mean, the sale's still going on until the fourth. So we got a chance. Cyber Monday. <laughs> Yeah. Monday tomorrow. Hell yeah. Um, um but let's do a non spoiler review. Yeah, right so non spoilers. Uh yeah. I like that idea. Uh do you want to give the synopsis or should I? Um I'll I'll start with the synopsis. So basically this movie is about a troop of Polish actors, uh in Poland, of course. And the Nazi occupation happens in Poland. This is during, I mean, it's set in modern times. This is during, you know, right when Hitler was rising to power in real life. And that's where they are in the movie. Hitler's rising to power. And uh, the Nazis, without warning, come and invade Poland. And they occupy Poland. And uh, this acting troupe was putting on a Nazi satire play and the government doesn't allow them to do it but now that the nazis are here they get mixed up in a in an espionage operation and only the actors who have been basically practicing to be nazis for the past like two months can do it (laughs) and it's so funny because they're they're practicing to be satirical nazis which comes into play at some parts later (laughs) But it's just so funny. Uh, Like, I thought it was such a clever plot. I really wasn't expecting that to be where it went. But then uh, it also is, like, the most logical, like, thing for the plot to to have happened. You know, like, you set it up as as these actors are putting on a a satirical play about Adolf Hitler and the the Nazi regime. And, um, you know, and then, and then, you know, Poland gets occupied and they can't put on anything of the sort. And but they still have all the costumes. They still have like all the the props and the mustache and you know the uniforms. <laughs> it's just so funny. Yeah. Like they got a dude so to play bold. Hitler who looks just like him too. Yeah, it, it, incredibly <laughs> bold. Uh, it's just so funny. Um, but uh, the funny thing about it being contemporary to the actual time period, like the movie being made in 1942 during right smack dab in the middle of World War II 
is really crazy because there was actually, uh, and I'm trying to find who exactly it was right now, but there was somebody who had come from Poland to the set. Um, yes. So it's just as a female visitor to the set who had just come from Poland um, when they were shooting the scene where the German soldiers marched through the street, she had just arrived from Poland and had seen that happen for real and fainted on the spot. Like, <laughs> damn. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, like, so it, it really was, so was happening. It was happening yeah. like, exactly like that. Um, yeah. In real life. It's crazy. Yeah. And that yeah. was, uh, that was so bold. I'm surprised. Like, I feel like Hollywood does not have any spine to do something like that nowadays. So, Oh no, no, no. Yeah. Well, and a lot of, uh, you know, the global market, a lot of the money made from American movies is the global market. So, yeah. of course, like big budget movies uh, from America don't want to frustrate other nations, which is why there's so much. I mean, that that just goes into to so much yeah. Wh- whitewashing because right. uh, people in other cultures are offended by... Um, you know, Tibetan characters. So that's why, uh, that's why Tilda Swinton played the Tibetan character in Dr. Strange. Right. Queer baiting. Uh, that's why like in the last star Wars film or the second star Wars film in one of them, there was like a brief, like one second moment. Yeah. Of, I've like, never noticed it. And I've seen the movie twice. Unfortunately, unfortunately yeah. I've seen it twice because the rise of Skywalker is a dreadful film to see. But um, yeah, I don't yeah, know if and, it was and, two and, women or two men, but they hug. And it's yeah, like, oh, that's so, I, so, so like progressive. I think they do kiss, but it was such oh, a short kiss. moment. And it, and it got edited out of all the foreign markets, I believe. Well, right, right. Because yeah. of, you know, conservative China or yeah. whatever else, whatever other conservative government yeah, needs, homophobic that, needs that to be government. able to be cut in order to play in their country and get Disney right. the big bucks. Yeah. So that's why you don't see movies like this anymore. Cause yeah. this movie was made by a German person who felt like the Nazis were ridiculous, which they were and yeah. are, they still are. They're bumbling morons. And they always <laughs> were. And the way this movie targeted the bureaucracy of Nazi or like the Nazi organization was honestly so perfect. It was so funny. Just the way that they were like bumbling around, like going, you know, how Hitler every like two seconds. And yeah. like <laughs> they <laughs> couldn't even tell a joke about about Hitler without people being like, are you are you insinuating something? And they'd be like, no, no, I don't want you to think. That. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every time like one of the Nazis gets like insecure. Whoa, bleh, what? No, I don't. What? Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Yeah, it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all so stupid. And it's so yes. good because so they're doing this satire of Nazi uh you know, Nazi uh, manners or whatever, a comedy of Nazi manners and a satire of their idiocracy. And uh, then they start dealing with real Nazis and it's the same thing. Yeah. But in real life, there are like (laughs) parallels to the play that they were doing. Some of my favorite scenes were the ones that were like, 
actually like so you see them performing the play at the start of the show and you don't it doesn't tell you that it's a play at start you figure it out like when the director calls cut that's not in the scene and uh and then you're like oh this, these are not this is not real nazis this is the play um yeah. and, and then later on in the movie you are with real nazis and they are literally it's literally the same dialogue the same everything just like tweaked a little bit so that you so that the tone is you know more serious you know but it's still it's the same like stuff and it's so funny how they did that i thought that was just brilliant yeah um, some what, really clever writing right off the bat the guy who plays hitler comes in to the room and they're like heil hitler heil hitler and he's like he says <laughs> heil myself, heil myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just gonna be hilarious uh and of course yeah. the director cut cut that, that's not good that's not gonna be good this is gonna be a serious play well i thought it would be good <laughs> for a laugh and i don't uh, want people to laugh right there <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like just as much a satire on how funny it is to be performing in a play as it is of Nazi Germany. It's totally a satire of actors, too. Yeah, 100%. Oh, my goodness. Um, The main character, was his name Uh, Benny? Yeah, well, Jack 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 Benny. Benny. The main character, Joseph Um, Tora. Joseph Tora, thank you. That great, great Polish actor, Joseph Tora. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness, I loved I loved and the the great thing about it is um so at the start of the film they're uh they, they get their Nazi play shut down, but they're still performing Hamlet, where Joseph Tura is Hamlet and uh and his wife, um Maria her Tura. Name right, Maria, Maria Tura, Tura, who was played by Carol Lombard. By the way, this is the last movie before she passed away in a Yeah, in a plane she crash. died in a plane crash right before the movie was released, pretty much. Um Yeah. Which is crazy, which is crazy considering she uh, dates a well, she has like a little affair with a with a, an airman. Yeah, they Maybe. cut out a they cut out a couple of lines about her saying, "Whoa, what could happen up in a plane? The planes would never, you know." They <laughs> they cut a couple of lines like that out. Yeah, and it was uh, actually really funny because uh, when she comes back the next day and she's like, "Oh yeah, I saw." I saw all of Poland from up in the sky and it was just so beautiful and whatever. I was like, did I miss something? Because, and I'm wondering if like, it was those little lines that would have given context to that. But then like, it kind of, you know, it it was just so funny, but she's, she's having an affair with an aviator who's sending her roses during the performance. Let's Um, okay. We're getting into spoilers now. Are we there? Are we there yet? I mean, are we there? (laughs) Are we there yet? I guess this well, happens this like in the, the beginning. It's like the very beginning. But we're yeah. starting to sort of trickle into that spoiler territory. We're getting <laughs> like within the first 20 minutes. I just but thought anyways, it was so funny. Yeah, I just thought it was so funny how um, how her telling him to meet her in the green room. Maria <laughs> telling the aviator to meet her in her green room during the to be or not to be soliloquy. Is the direct thing that makes her husband, who's playing Hamlet, so self-conscious about his acting. Because every time he starts to be or not to be, he sees this guy in the second <laughs> row bolt out of the theater. <laughs> it's so, this is it's the such same a great guy. Joke. Like, yeah. right as he begins his monologue, because that's obviously when he's going to be gone and they'll be able to have yeah. time together. But right as he starts his monologue, bit, yeah. he gets up and everybody gets up because it's a crowded theater and he's like making his way through through the theater it's just super awkward <laughs> i just loved how how uh joseph tura jack benny played that off too but every time he did it every time was so great because i think it happens three times in the movie 
Um, and yeah. the second time he's like, to be or not to be. And the guy stands up and he like immediately gets angry and he goes, that is the question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The same shit happens. It's Constantly. so funny. And then, of course, as soon as he's done with his soliloquy, he goes back to Maria's green room and he's like, oh, the worst thing has ever happened to an actor. I got walked out on. Am I losing my grip? <laughs> and it's just so funny because it's like it's just so brilliant how uh, intertwined it all is. Like, it's literally the guy that she invited back to her dressing room walking out during the soliloquy because she told him to. And uh, I, I really love their marriage. I get that they're unfaithful to each other, but it was so entertaining to watch on on screen. I thought it was so funny. I thought it was really progressive because they never split up. They never shamed each other for anything that they were doing. They, you know, very much were like upset. Um, like he was very much upset when he found out. Um, spoiler uh, later in the movie uh, that <laughs> you know all about it, which was just so brilliant. It was so brilliantly done. I didn't even realize how like smart it was until halfway through the movie when um uh Stiletsky uh is go- is getting you know he's getting everybody's addresses and he goes oh just tell this one girl to be or not to be she'll know <laughs> and like i was like oh my goodness Stiletsky is going to break the news to yeah. husband <laughs> that they were cheating on accident oh my god it was just so brilliant it was like and of course that's that's what happened that's exactly what happens <laughs> <laughs> the the English spot the Englishman sent to recover the underground is actually a Nazi spy, and uh, of course they have to set up a meeting with the uh, Colonel of the Nazis, a fake meeting. <laughs> Colonel Earhart. Yeah. Colonel Earhart. Uh, concentration camp Earhart. <laughs> That's just oh my god! It's. So, like, you think concentration camp Earhart, that doesn't sound funny. But let me just break it down for you. In context, it's hilarious. I promise I'm not laughing at tragedy. It's so funny because this actor plays the colonel, Colonel Earhart. And uh, they're trying to set up a fake meeting with this German spy because they need to intercept these sensitive documents that could destroy the underground resistance. And he just, he can't think of anything to say. So the first thing that the professor says is, yeah, well, they call you, they call you, they have a name for you in England, Concentration Camp Earhart. (laughs) And Jack Benny's character, the actor, is playing Earhart. He just keeps saying, so, so they call me Concentration Camp Earhart, eh? (laughs) 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 Oh, oh, oh. It's so uh, good. So, so... Yeah, so they call me Concentration Camp Earhart, huh? And he keeps repeating it because he can't think of anything else. Yeah. And then later, it's... they kill... Well, they end up killing the spy, and then he has to play the spy and meet yeah, the real Earhart. Mm, so good. And the real it's Earhart really is saying, comp- oh, so they call me Concentration Camp Earhart, eh? And he's like, yes, <laughs> I, I thought you would react just that way. <laughs> which is so smart <laughs> he's like praising himself for his acting performance he's like oh i did so good <laughs> right, right. um but it just cracks it's so complicated actually the way this story goes because so in the dressing room we got the aviator and maria having the little tryst unbeknownst to joseph and then later on um he is suspicious of Stiletsky when they give the names because he doesn't know who Maria is and she's really famous in Warsaw. And so he goes and reports Stiletsky to uh, the RAF people, I guess, um, the allies. 
And uh, he's like, yeah, that was really suspicious that he didn't know who Maria was. And so they think they realize then at that point that Zaleski's probably a spy and he got all the addresses of all the RAF men yeah. in Poland of their families in Poland. And so he, so he can deliver told, them to the Nazis and basically yeah, so he's take told down to all the aviators, loved ones and all the right. resistance people. And uh, he, uh, he tells, uh, th- then he's instructed, the aviator is then instructed, Sabinsky, the aviator, is then instructed to fly to Warsaw before Stileski can get there and put a picture of him in a book, Anna Karenina, at the bookstore so that the bookstore keeper can then see the picture of who it is because it's all part of the underground. Uh, they're all part of the, the Polish underground. And, um, <laughs> and so he gets, Sabinsky gets there, but Stileski has arrived earlier, actually. So when she goes, so when Sabinsky gives Maria the picture to put in the book to give to the bookkeeper, Stileski's already there. Things are already in motion. But that causes um, Joseph to walk in and Sabinsky in bed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, keeps looking at him and there's music playing, like, he like he recognizes him at first (laughs) like and then he likes he wakes him up by saying to be or not to be which is really funny oh my gosh so good and he's like (laughs) he's clueless throughout this whole thing but he's the guy who has to play like all these characters because he's he played these types of characters in the play so he doesn't know what's happening in he doesn't it's like he doesn't know anything that's happening like when war breaks out everyone's yelling and screaming and he's like, I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> Somebody walked out on me and they're and like, no, like, it's war. Alive, it's war. <laughs> they're all so <laughs> mad. It's so funny. Um, and I feel like the funny thing is, is like um, at the beginning of the movie, you kind of think he's going to be like a bumbling idiot, but he's not, he's actually really clever and really smart. He's just so egotistical. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and that made him such an enjoyable character to see. Um, because he did some really clever things throughout the movie, I thought. Like, uh, like later in the movie, after they've shot Stileski, after after that whole hullabaloo where they're pretending to be, where he's pretending to be Colonel Earhart, and uh, uh, he ends up giving it away. Stileski gets very suspicious and ends up running running away, shooting his gun like just in the air. I guess I don't know. There's a lot of gunshots that happen off screen, um, but so they they appear to have been shot. They dress the theater up like the Nazi headquarters, yeah, and they, they make send, it look like they send actors the dressed like Nazis to come and pick him yeah. up and take him to the quote unquote Nazi headquarters. But it's actually yeah. the theater. And Stiletsky, the he's like a scientist, like a super smart dude. So of course he figures it out. But then they have a shootout. There's that one yeah. scene where he where he's running away from them and they're all looking for him in the theater and then the spotlight comes on and Stiletsky's yeah. like he's in a Bigfoot pose on the stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and then this? he runs behind the curtain and uh and ends up getting shot. And uh and then he continues Joseph continues acting like Stiletsky. That's when he goes to the real Colonel Earhart and starts pretending to be uh Stileski for for the Nazis. Um, well, and he doesn't want to. He goes yeah. back to like pick up his wife from the hotel that Stileski had her at the Nazi hotel. Yeah, dressed and then like there's another Nazi Stileski. in there. And then they say, "Oh, uh, change of plans. Colonel Earhart wants to see you right away," which is the exact same thing that they said to the real Stileski. Yeah, so it's just like the same thing is happening just in real life. <laughs> It's always, it's so like, there's so much irony 
yeah level or layered in this movie yeah lots of dramatic irony for sure um yeah and the way the movie plays out is like things will kind of just happen and then the movie kind of catches you up to like what's going on in a weird way like like just like how the opening scene started where like you think you're actually seeing nazis you know being nazis but then it ends up being actors playing nazis like a lot of the movie runs like that like uh like when he first showed up dressed as Stiletsky, I was like really confused. I was like, didn't I just see Stiletsky get shot like five minutes ago? Like I saw that that happened in the movie. And then I realized, Oh, that's clear. And I have a little bit of face blindness. So the close up didn't help me. Um, but, <laughs> but it's but hard I to realized, tell because oh, he blends into the characters. Yeah. He looks just like him with the Stiletsky has a goatee, yeah, mustache, a goatee and a beard. Yeah. <laughs> which was the clever thing he ended up doing when they actually captured when when the Nazis actually found Stiletsky, the real Stiletsky's body. That was the funniest and, scene in the movie for me. Yeah, and that I agree for me too. And they they prop him up on a chair, the dead body of Stiletsky, and they bring, they're trying to scare him. Yeah, they're they're using like a fear tactic, and so they bring in Joseph Tura dressed as Stiletsky, and they put him in the same room with the dead Stiletsky because they find and, out Stiletsky's dead. And then he just yeah. talked to Stiletsky this morning, the fake Stiletsky, yeah. who was played by Joseph Tura. So he brings him in to like freak him out with a dead body. But anyways, proceed. And then, um, and then Stiletsky, uh, the the, and then Joseph Tura, you know, sees dead Stiletsky there, and he has an extra fake beard in his pocket, and so he goes and he shaves Stiletsky, the dead body. And puts the fake beard on him and then brings all the Nazis in and is like, hmm, that guy kind of looks like me, doesn't he? And he goes, oh, actually, I think you look like him because you're clearly the imposter. And he's like, oh, yeah, why don't you try pulling his beard then? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you think I'm an idiot? I'm not going to just pull a man's beard. And he pulls it and it comes right off and he goes. And everyone's just like. <laughs> <laughs> and the colonel's constantly later, like, Schultz, Schultz. Yeah, he yeah. blames he's, his right-hand er- man Earhart for everything. always <laughs> blaming Schultz for his stuff. And Schultz is always like, but it was your idea. And he goes, shifting responsibility onto me again. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then and then all the fake Nazis, all the actors come in dressed up as Nazis. Well, because Joseph jo- Joseph Tura had it in the bag. He totally fooled all the Nazis. He pulled some crazy slick shit by doing this yeah. like, fake beard thing, yeah, <laughs> and everybody so else had a plan to go save him. So yeah. they came in as we- fake Nazis to arrest the imposter right after he convinced them he wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, which is so good. Uh, and it's so funny because then they rip his beard off and Earhart is just like, yeah, <laughs> like the biggest like shock on his face ever. He's like, what on earth? My entire worldview is falling apart right now. Yeah, <laughs> And of course he, he blames Schultz again. <laughs> he fully believes, okay, like he fully believes that Joseph Tura is the real Stiletsky at this point. And yeah. that they yeah. somehow got the dead body of the imposter. And then, and then the Nazi actors, they come in and say, well, he's the imposter. And then they just immediately rip off his beard and mustache. It's, it's just so good. It's so funny. Just the absolute shock on <laughs> Colonel Earhart's face was so so perfectly done. And I actually watched the trailer to the remake um, after I watched the original. I got to watch the Mel Brooks um, movie. Yeah, I, I really want to see the Mel Brooks movie now. However, they put that scene in the trailer. And it made me kind of upset. I was like, that's like the funniest, funniest, funniest gag in the whole movie. Yeah, the ultimate, like, best gag. (laughs) So I was really sad to see that they, like, put that right in the trailer. But you know what? I bet it's still great. I'm really excited to check out the Mel Brooks movie. Um, 
the the this, other this, this one was fantastic. It was sure. so good. The other funniest moment for me was when they were bringing the spy in to the fake Nazi headquarters. They had one of the actors who's a big ham. Yeah. They keep calling him a ham throughout this the yeah. whole movie. And he's leaving the office and uh, he's laughing. Oh, okay, thanks, Colonel Earhart. Oh, 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 oh. and like, he goes to the door and he just turns. He's just cheesing oh, And he laughs. <laughs> the guy behind him is like, no, stop laughing. Just stop playing it up. Yeah. Oh. Highly alert. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And uh, and the real Stiletsky's like, how did he get general? And the fake Nazi uh, ham guy, the fake Nazi goes, um, oh, well, he's, uh, he's, he's Goering's cousin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and the real Stiletsky's just like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Okay. <laughs> the real Nazis are just as stupid, though, in so many cases. They are. Specifically, that's what Earhart. makes it so good. Yeah, I think that's what makes it so funny. Um, it's just how incredibly incompetent uh, all the Nazis are, and how incredibly competent the actors are at acting like incompetent Nazis. Right. Um, that was a very confusing sentence. I apologize, but yes, no, it uh, makes sense. It was so funny. <laughs> they were just able to pull so off good. so much. They were able to, they were able to remove Hitler's entire security of like 30 people. Yeah. By basically yeah. having somebody pretend to run out, like he was going to attack Hitler. And then the fake Nazis come into the crowd and everyone just sort of agrees with them. Well, well, we must yeah. take this man. We must take this man. Hitler's gone. And then they have the Hitler actor walking away and they all just follow him. So yeah, it's just it actually... Hitler by himself. He loses his entire guard just from a grift. It kind of weirdly reminded me of like Inglorious Bastards in a way. Like, oh, totally. It, yeah, just because it's like it's a comedy about this horrible time in human history, but like it's also just so clever and so smart with how it, you know, with how it takes the historical context and twists it for its own own purpose. I just thought it was brilliant. I just thought it yeah. was so well done, and the way the domino pieces were kind of set up, you know, in the in the script. To, to all come back at the end, even the to be or not to be, which does come back right at the end um, with the, the person walking stinger. out during his soliloquy. Yeah, it was just so great. And that's another great thing about old movies is they always ended on such a brilliant stinger that like really yeah. like you can't do endings like that these days. They just they were so perfect. It was <laughs> like then. it was like so often like old movies ended with like a punchline. Yeah. like And it was always good, too. It like worked so well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, truly. I uh, this movie and it, and I love Inglorious Bastards. I think that's my favorite Tarantino film. But I do like this yeah, movie more. Oh but yeah, yeah they're very this similar. So good. It it can and, definitely and, be argued that Inglorious took a lot of inspiration from this movie. Yeah, I would say almost any like World War Two satire film must have some total like some. What is the word I'm looking for? They owe something to this film, you know? Yeah. They owe something, whether it be, you know, I don't know, because this must have been the first one to do it if it came out in 1942. This must have been the very first Holocaust yeah. World War II satire film. Probably. If you like Inglorious and you love that scene, like, and you're like me, and you love that scene where Colonel Hans Landa is getting them to say their names because he knows they're not mm -hmm. Italian. Gorlami? Gorlami? Yeah, Gorlami. 
And uh, <laughs> Dominic Di Coco, was it? Let me hear you say it. Dominic Di Coco. One more time, please. <laughs> that whole tense hilarity scene where they're pretending to be not, or where they're pretending to be Italians. That's yeah. like this whole entire movie. Yeah, it balances the tension and the humor so well because there are some yeah. like very tense moments in this film that are still very funny as at the same time as being tense, like where I'm like sitting on the edge of my seat going, ooh, how are they going to get out of this one? But I'm also laughing at the same time because it's just so it's so clever. And it, yeah. I could not imagine how you would go about writing something this clever where everything literally even minor details come back at the end and, and are paid off. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's so it's genius. It's genius. Yeah. And Jack Benny was so good. So good. So He's so funny. funny. He actually looks really good in, in with his little mustache at the very end. I was like, that, that mustache suits you. You look really good. Um, the one that he loses before they go to, to extract Carol. Yeah. He <laughs> or sorry, to extract Carol. Maria. Yeah. Oh, it was just so good. I really love that movie. I want to watch more with Jack Benny in it because he was so funny. Um, he was really uh, self-conscious in this movie. Yeah, that's what I read. I read that he he felt like he didn't do a good job, which is bizarre to me because he was so fantastic. Yeah, he'd never worked with anybody as big as Ernst Lubitsch before. Yeah. So uh, he didn't feel like he was going to be good in this movie. But Ernst Lubitsch just wrote it with him in mind. Yeah. It was going to be Jack the whole time. Yeah. Which would be such an honor to have somebody like Ernst Lubitsch be like, I wrote this role for you. Like, imagine today if, like, uh, Damien Chazelle wrote a role for you. <laughs> like casted you in his movie and he's like you must be in my movie like it's right. it, it's an like absolutely mind-blowing overwhelming it, honor it would I'm almost sure. be more like uh spielberg because he just made so many movies yeah yeah that's a better comparison yeah chazelle's still up and coming i guess in some ways but chazelle's just like an instant classic kind of a director whereas yeah, ernst definitely. has been around and making movies for so long at this point yeah i mean this a, was one a, of the a, last a veteran director yeah 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 uh such a great great film i thought it was just so funny all the way through so let's get into the questions so is this movie worth losing sleep over absolutely and i did lose sleep over it because it was the holiday so i was very busy <laughs> uh with my family um and i just watched it last night i literally started it half past 11 p.m and finished it around you know i don't know two hours from then so like after one at one point I watched this yeah. in film history uh, in nice. school, and I think that was 2019, 2018, maybe. It was a while ago. And I just never stopped thinking about it since. So I'm glad yeah. that we got to watch it again because it was just as funny and maybe even more funny. Yeah, I've always wanted to watch it in class. Yeah, it was super yeah. good. Because I, um, I have the Mel Brooks collection, like Blu-ray set. Um, it doesn't have all of his movies, but it has like the greatest hits, I guess. And one of them is To Be or Not To Be, the Mel Brooks version. And uh, and like I've held off on watching that, even though I wanted to see it. I've held off on watching that because this one existed. And I was like, I need to see the original before I watch the remake. That's kind of just how I do. And um, and yeah, and, and I hadn't watched the original because, uh, you know, I think whenever that was, whenever I searched it, it wasn't streaming at the time. Um, but now it is now it's on max and that's where I watched it. And it was, uh, just a blast. I'm so happy. I got to see this. I love, I've, you know, like I've said, I haven't seen many of his films, but I love Ernst Lubitsch just for the tone. Uh, I think his tone is um, spot on, like so great. So I, I wonderful. definitely want to watch more of his stuff. 
Have you seen Trouble in Paradise? I, I haven't. I actually haven't seen any of other, Ernst Lubitsch's other movies as far oh, as my I goodness. know. But I know that there mo- so many of them are just so widely acclaimed. Yeah, Trouble in Paradise is, is, is out of the ones I've seen so far, my favorite Ernst Lubitsch film so much. It's so Sweet. funny. I'm going to watch that next. So clever. Yeah, definitely check it out. It's a wonderful film. Um, what, how disappointed would you be if you fell asleep in the middle of this movie? <laughs> I did. Because <laughs> the first time I watched it, the first time I tried watching it was two days ago, and I did fall asleep in the middle of it, and then I started it over last night. Um, I was I pretty put, disappointed because I was having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, I could put this, well, that's the next question. But, yeah, if I fell asleep in the middle of this movie, I, I mean, I don't think I... I guess I could, but it's really funny. I would be constantly yeah. laughing, so I don't know if I would be able to fall asleep <laughs> if it was the first time I watched it or the second or third yeah. time I watched it. But would you put this movie on to fall asleep to? I definitely would. It's very comfortable. Yeah. I mean, any any movie from the 40s, honestly, I'd probably yeah. put on to fall asleep to. Not <laughs> because really... I'm, I'm not saying they're boring. <laughs> 40s movies are great. I'm saying they have, they're so comforting. They're, they're so funny. Yeah. yeah, the writing was always so sharp and clever, and the dialogue was always super witty and like double entendre. And yeah, they just, I just love the 40s. So, yes, I, I think any movie from the 40s is a good candidate for a comfort falling asleep to film. And those transatlantic accents are yeah, happening so in spades in this movie, too. Yeah, and very <laughs> yeah. dreamy, very lovely, very comfortable. Yeah. If you just listened to this movie, would it still be good? And if you just watched it, I mean, I think yes. Uh, yeah. And yes, it's wonderfully shot. I, yeah, I could definitely good. listen to this. I think probably I would rather listen to this than just watch it yeah. without the sound because it's just the, the dialogue is so, so good. And it works even without the visuals. But yeah, of course, it's, it's so a fantastic funny. movie. Yeah. It's great. It's so funny. Um, and if it was yeah, animated, it, I mean, it would still be yeah. really funny. I don't know if yeah. that would, I don't know if that would benefit it or not. I think no, it would probably, probably detract. Yeah, I think the live action of the actor, like the actors, just did so. It doesn't. Yeah, it, it's it's a perfect candidate for live action. Because <laughs> you have like you have actors playing multiple characters. You have actors playing actors who are playing multiple characters. Right. And some yeah. of the really funny bits are just the face, like realizing that it's Jack Benny playing yeah. certain characters. Or this movie yeah. messed with my face blindness so much. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie. I had to wait for context clues in the dialogue to realize when the Nazis were fake, or, fake Nazis or real Nazis. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, these are the fake ones. Oh, okay, these are the real ones. <laughs> they do. <laughs> like, I mean, they kind of psych you out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a couple times. I mean, when when he came dressed up as Stiletsky, when Joseph Turek comes in dressed up as Stiletsky, I was super confused. I was like, "Who the heck is that?" And like, it took it took him saying, "And if if and she, but she has a secret, a little secret that if her husband knew, he would murder her." I was like, "Oh, oh, it's him. It's it is her husband." <laughs> like that's what clicked. That was the context clue. I was like, "Okay, it all makes sense now." I was like, "Cause I was pretty sure I saw Stileski get shot." Like the previous scene um but you know that the face blindness oh goodness this movie really came from my face blindness when he when he comes in and there's like the nazi checking people in he's like yeah good night he's kind of got his like (laughs) got his hat down (laughs) oh my goodness it was so funny i just i it's so clever it's so clever it's the perfect kind of comedy just because of how clever it is yeah, um, like not, there's no cheap jokes in this movie at all. It's all 
very smart. Totally. And Carol Lombard's character, Maria Tura, is incredibly strong and basically yes. like leading the whole spy movement. In she's great. Yeah, she's I, I really loved their marriage. And I think that was like almost very progressive for them to, to do that at the time where, yeah. you know, she's she's kind of unfaithful, but like he doesn't shame her. He still loves well, her. He, he joked, tells her he joked about, about like it. murdering her, but it's yeah, definitely like played off like a joke. It's so lo- it's so lovingly said to like right. if her husband no, he would murder her. He like you know, it's like it's like said with an undertone of like I still love you. <laughs> like, yeah, but, I'm, but like why are you cheating on me? And then like when he leaves, um, when he's like kissing her goodbye before they they enact their final plan. And he's like, if I survive, I forgive you for what you did with the aviator. And then as he is walking out the door and he goes, no, no, if I die, I forgive you for what you did with yeah. the aviator. <laughs> if I live, however, that's a different matter. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like constantly cracking so jokes throughout the movie. So you can tell it's, I mean, it's yeah. hard to explain, but it comes across as very jokingly. It's almost yeah. like an open marriage, but where he just makes jokes about how, like how she's cheating on him all the time or something. Right. Right. It's so funny. And then the stinger at the end where he's he's playing Hamlet now in England because they've all they've all uh, been able to escape Poland to go to England. Um, he's playing Hamlet and he gets to his to be or not to be soliloquy. And he like before he starts, he looks around the audience trying to find where the aviator is, where Sabinski is. He finds him. He starts the soliloquy. He goes to be or not to be. And a guy two rows back from Sabinski stands up and they both are like, what? what? Sabinski and him are like sharing a look like, oh, my goodness, our woman. It's, yeah. So it's probably like she told him to come in like when he was doing the yeah, to be or not absolutely, to be soliloquy. Yeah. She's moved on from Sabinski <laughs> to her next little tryst. Um, but uh, she is so funny. So funny. Um, and I think that is actually really progressive because I don't think the movie at any point takes any stance against like it never once like slut shames her or anything like that. No. Like, I, I think it's very progressive in that sense. Like she's a, a sexually liberal, liberated woman. Um, yeah. makes her own choices and yeah uh, she's I mean, married, he never. So she he, probably shouldn't be making all those choices but he never you know, hurts her, her like kind of okay with it yeah. no, nobody ever I mean she's in a couple of creepy situations with like the Nazis and like the spy yeah. and stuff like that yeah. but she holds her own really really well against them and like the guys who uh, are supposed to love her don't I mean you don't get the sense that they're like mistreating her or anything like that no yeah. yeah, and it's it's just it, it it does kind of feel really progressive, almost like it's just like an open marriage where the husband yeah. just cracks jokes about how she's cheating on him all the time. Right, and especially for the time. But apparently, yeah. that was an Ernst Lubitsch trademark where he would do things just walking along the line, like just walking oh, along yeah. the code. Like yeah, that, the Hayes code. Like there's that one line where. Uh, He's like, oh, I've never, I would never have gone out with an actress before. I've never met an actress before. And she's like, well, I've never met a man who could drop three tons of dynamite in three seconds before. All breathy. Like <laughs> Bye. Bye. She was so oh great. My oh, my God. <laughs> I loved her so much. It's such a shame she passed away because she could have been in so many other movies after this. Just oh, yeah. Perfect. She was perfect. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, um, that it was just she was fantastic, and before she passed away, like b- between then and now, she had said that it was her favorite movie she's ever been in. That's amazing. 
And same with yeah. Uh, same with uh, um, Jack Benny. He yeah, by all accounts, the only real picture he's ever been in. That's what wow. he said in his, in his. Yeah, I somewhere. mean, by all accounts, it was an incredibly fun film to be a part of, and the set was just full of laughter, like between takes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it just was like a great, great project to have been a part of. Yeah. So, so. that was to be or not to be. <laughs> Splendid film. Fantastic movie. And next week, what do we got? Next week, I it's so crazy because it's another World War II film. Um, it's not nearly as much about the actual war as this one is. This one is more... Like, it just takes place during, like, World War II as, like, a backdrop. But we're watching A Matter of Life and Death from 1946, directed by Emmerich Pressburger and Michael Powell. Um, fantastic, fantastic movie. David Niven and, oh, I'm forgetting the his his co-star. Um, just such a good movie, though. I'm going to look up his co-star real quick. Um, but it's a movie about an RAF airman who goes down. Um, and while he's going down, he manages to contact an American radio operator. And in that in that moment, they're talking before he crashes. They fall in love. And and that's all I'm going to say for now, because it's a fantastic movie. Um, and we are most likely going to have a guest uh, with us next week. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be great. Yes, Kim Hunter is the co-star in A Matter of Life and Death. It has David Niven and Kim Hunter, and it's fantastic. I love it. I'm so excited to talk about it. I'm so excited for you to see it because I can't I'm, wait to hear your thoughts. I'm very excited. This is a great category because I don't watch enough movies from the 40s. So Yeah, the 40s is fantastic. It's probably like one of my favorite decades of film, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... So that was Film Somniacs, and my voice is echoing again. So uh, I will just say good night. Yes, all these wonderful technical difficulties, <laughs> <laughs> but have a great night. Hopefully, hopefully next week we won't have so many technical difficulties. But thank you for bearing with us, and we love you all, and sleep tight.